This is a red balloon. It's true, it's red, we all know our colors. The absolute truth is that this balloon is red. No, it's not, that's green. What? This right here is a green balloon. That is the prettiest yellow balloon. <laughs> yellow? This, this is red. Yeah, come over here. No, it's green. It's red! Yeah, I know, it's a red balloon. Hey, will you look at it from my point of view, please? What? Hey, nice blue balloon. Blue. It's green! Green? It's red! What? Why are you saying it's red when it's blue? Huh? It's what? totally purple from here! Purple? Okay, you know what? Let's just settle this once and for all, okay? Well, where are you going? Hey, what color is this balloon? I only see in black and white. Hey, Mark, what color? There is no balloon. This is ridiculous. Hey, I know what the problem is. Look, uh, my mom taught me that this was blue. But, um, you know, then she said this is red and green, yellow, you know, and on and on. <laughs> okay, right. I get that your mom taught you that that was blue, but, I mean, that's not the truth. Whoa, why are you talking bad about his mom? Yeah. I'm not. Listen, I respect your mother. Thank you. And the way she raised you. She taught you that was blue. Our moms taught us that it was red. Right. That's the way it goes. I thought you oh. said it was green. It is green. See, I'm smart. I went to college. <laughs> and in college, I learned all these different theories about color. Really? And my color professors who have doctorates in color... Do you have a doctorate in color? Uh, no. It shows. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> they can't even agree on one theory of color, so you have to look at all the different theories and pick which one works best for you. And green is great for me. That makes sense. Thank you. No, you can't just pick whatever color fits your life the best. Red is red. Okay, do you know the word intolerant? Yeah. Because that's what you're being right now. <laughs> All right, you're shoving your opinion down my throat. Okay, it's not my opinion, it's the truth. <laughs> hold on, hold on. All we're saying is that we need to stop arguing about trivial things. Like truth. You know, the funny thing about truth is, it's true. Whether you believe it or not. Today we begin a new sermon series based on a book um, that I, I read in college when I was at uh, Lincoln Christian College. It's called Faith's Fundamentals. Is the book. It's by, written by Dr. Jack Cottrell, who is a professor at Cincinnati Christian University. And uh, it's Seven Essentials of Christian Belief. And we're going to talk for the next seven weeks about the essential matters of faith and the foundational, fundamental uh, parts of our faith that, we, that there can be no compromise on. We're going to talk about truth, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to talk about truth and the importance and the foundation of truth, because without truth, we got nothing. Okay, and we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk about four questions and, and uh, that we're going to answer about truth today. Um, you know, does it really matter? Does it really matter what color that balloon was? Absolutely. It totally matters. It absolutely matters, just as it matters that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, just as it matters that Jesus Christ was crucified and on the third day rose again. And I know it may seem kind of odd talking about the color of a balloon versus the virgin birth, but there's a lot that they have in common, and we're going to talk about that today as we talk about truth and the fundamental foundational aspect of truth and why we have to have the truth. The title of this sermon is, Can You Handle the Truth? You can't handle the truth. Ooh. Play that slide again. You can't handle the truth. 
handle the truth. Yeah. When I was um, a kid, not even a kid, when I was in college, that movie came out, A Few Good Men. You know what I'm talking about? All right. You know, it's honestly my favorite movie of all time. Tom Cruise just rocks. Jack Nicholson can't go wrong with Jack. You just, oh. And, and the, the courtroom scene there at the end of the movie when they're going at it back and forth, you know, and I want answers. You want answers. I want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Oh, man. It's just... Can you handle the truth? And that is the question that the Bible, that is the question that Scripture asks the world. Can you handle the truth? The truth is hard. Because the truth demands that we live a certain way. If the Bible is true, if the Bible truly is the Word of God, then we have to change the way we live. Because the Bible will not leave us alone. The Bible will not merely just let you be who you are. Jesus will not let you merely be what you want to be. There is transformation and there is change that has to happen if there is truth. So let's get into this. Turn to your Bibles to John chapter 18. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture this morning. But the first one is in John 18, 36 through 38. John 18, 36 through 38. The first question we're going to ask this morning is, does truth exist? In your bulletins is an outline of this morning's sermon, and you can follow these four questions that we're going to answer. The first one is, does truth exist? John 18, 36 through 38. Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate is questioning him. And Jesus says in John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asks them probably the most fundamental question that a human being can ask when he says, what is truth? What is truth? Now, that's not the first question we're going to answer. The first question we are going to answer is, does truth exist? Because that's where you have to start, at the foundational level. Does truth exist? Is there any such thing as truth? Does truth really exist? You know, we live in a world where people believe that truth is relative. Not that you know, your aunts and uncles, that, that kind of relative. We're talking about truth is what's true for you may not be true for me. You believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Nothing is true for everyone all at the same time. We all have different perspectives. Uh, we can't even trust language because, you know, what's true in one language may not be true in another. We don't even have a word for that. There's all kinds of, of reasons why people think that truth is relative and that there's no such thing as absolute truth. But you know what? There, there is absolute truth. There are things that we believe that are right and wrong, correct? Yesterday, we fired rockets into Libya. Why? Because Gaddafi is committing genocide. He is killing people who believe that they have the right to be free. And as Americans, we believe they have the right to be free, and we're going to stand up for those people. So we fired rockets into Libya. But Gaddafi says, leave me alone. In, 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 in my view of things, in my truth, what I'm doing is the right thing. 
And if we live in a world where truth is relative, where it really doesn't matter what you believe and, and what you believe is good for you and what you believe is good for you and what you believe in the balcony is good for you, then you cannot impose your truth on the people who sit on the left side and the people on the, on the left side can't impose their truth on the people on the right side. And so America really has no business imposing its will uh, and uh, imposing its truth on Gaddafi. Because what Qaddafi believes is, is he believes that he's doing the right thing. Bin Laden believes that he is doing the right thing. Hitler believed that he was doing the right thing. People who protest at military funerals believe that they're doing the right thing. All these people believe that they are doing the right thing. So who are we to condemn them? If truth is relative and it really doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something sincerely and as long as you want to, as long as you believe that you are on the side of truth and it really doesn't matter, then quit imposing your will, quit imposing your truth on somebody else. Does truth even exist? This is the question that we're trying to get to. Truth is not relative. There are truths that are absolute, that are right and wrong. How do we discover these truths? In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is in the garden praying uh, the night he was betrayed. And he's praying fervently. And he prays, he prays to God. And this is what he says. He says, your word is truth. John 17, 17. Remember those words. Jesus says, your word to the Father. He says, your word is truth. In 2 Timothy 2, 18 we know that there is truth because Paul says that those who were abandoning the belief in the resurrection were abandoning the truth. There is truth. There are things that are absolutely right and absolutely wrong all the time. So how do we find out what those things are? How do we know what those things are? The question that Pilate asked, the question that we're going to ask, the second question is what is truth? What is truth? There are two kinds of truth. One is practical truth. Two plus two equals four. Has that ever changed? I'm teaching Jonathan math. Daddy, what's two plus two plus two plus two? Well, that's eight. How do you know that? Well, two plus two plus two plus two is eight. See, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There was a guy who was uh, 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 an accountant who was trying to get a, a promotion at his job. And so he goes in for the interview, and they're going over the, the interview, and he's doing really well. Everything is going really great. And uh, the, the man asks, he's finally, the, the, the employer asks, I have one last question for you. What is three times seven? The accountant says, uh, tw 22. He gets up, he goes out, and he, he's not really sure, and he punches the number into the calculator, and three times seven is 21. Oh. And he knew that he had just, he just blew it. Two weeks later, he gets a call that he got the job. How is that possible? I got the answer wrong. He goes, you were the closest. <laughs> truth is truth. Three times seven is 21 all the time. That's a practical truth. Okay, it doesn't change your life, but it is a practical truth. The second definition of truth. One is that it is practical. The second is a correspondence definition in that truth is truth in how it corresponds to reality. Truth is truth in that it corresponds to reality. We see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 through 8, this is what Paul said. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And then after that appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some had fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one I'm normally born. The reality of the situation is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the reason that it is true is because it corresponds to reality. You had over 500 people who saw him at the same time. You had all these people who witnessed his resurrection, who saw him alive, that Jesus was alive. And the reason that it is true is because it corresponds to reality. It's not a practical measure of two plus two equals four. It is a personal testimony. It is an eyewitness thing that hundreds of people saw Jesus Christ rise from the dead. He is alive to this day. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father in power and glory and is coming again. That is the reality of the situation. It is true. So the next question we ask then, question number three is what is true? How do we know If truth does exist, and we believe that it does, that there are things that are absolutely right and absolutely wrong, there are things that are absolutely true, things that are absolutely untrue, and uh, we, we see what truth is, that there are two kinds of truth, a practical truth, a corresponding truth. What is true? How do we know what is true? Um, there are many claims to truth in our world. There are many claims to truth in our world. Muslims claim the truth. Hindus claim the truth. Buddhists claim the truth. Atheists claim the truth. How do we know what's right? Christians claim the truth. How do we know it's true? Well, remember the two definitions. There's a practical truth and a corresponding truth. And the corresponding truth is which corresponds best to reality. You look at the world around you. What is, which religious system, religious faith, religious truth corresponds best to reality? I choose to believe in a God, a loving, benevolent creator who made all that we see around us, who everything in creation works together for our benefit. From the right mixture, mixture of oxygen to nitrogen in the air that we breathe, that is perfect to sustain life on this planet, trees, birds. Jojo, how many species of birds did we say there were the other day? 150,000 species of birds? That's an accident? 150,000 species of birds? That's a creative God. That is a creative God who created all of this for our benefit. Everything works out for good. By the way, have you seen the Robins? I have. It all works together for our benefit, and I believe that that is the work of a benevolent creator who loves people. And the ultimate definition of his love was that he sent his son to rescue sinners. We are all sinners. That is true. We look around us, and I think you look around you, and humanity can be pretty rotten, and a lot of rotten things people do. And yet God says, I'm not going to leave you in a state of rottenness and I'm not going to leave you just to fend for yourselves and I'm just going to leave you to die in your sins and, and spend eternity in hell. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son to rescue you, to ransom you, to bring you home to me. See, there are people who believe that you've got to follow enough rules. If you can follow enough rules, if you follow these five rules or follow this eightfold path, then, then you'll find nirvana or you'll find salvation but when i look at humanity and i look at the the five rules the five pillars of islam or the eightfold path of buddhism i look at those things and i think there's no way that anybody could ever keep those things perfectly ten commandments no way anybody could keep that perfectly we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god every single one of us have fallen short every single one of us is a sinner and so what does god do about our sin he sent his son to pay the price There has to be a penalty. There has to be a punishment. 
And Jesus took the punishment for us. Like in the skit that David had for his community meditation today, how awesome was that? That Jesus paid the price, paid the price so that we could be forgiven, that we could be free, that we wouldn't have to go to hell, that we could go to heaven. Not only do I look around me and I see, but I, I feel the personal experience. I have a, a personal testimony of what God has done in my life, how he has changed my life, how he took a, uh, an, uh, a moronic teenager and called him into ministry and became a moronic minister. But <laughs> my testimony, my testimony. Did I hear an Amen. My experience and my testimony tells me that this is true. You think about it for a second. How do you learn that fire's hot? Because when you're a moronic little kid, you burn yourself playing with fireworks. Wow, that's really hot. Or you touch the stove, right? You, I burned myself the other day pulling cookies out of the oven. I've eaten too many cookies lately. I know fire is hot because of my personal experience. I know God is true because of my personal testimony. I know God is true because of my personal experience. And I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, according to John 14, 6. But the Bible tells us when we want to find out what is true, we turn to God's word. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verses 1, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we have somebody's testimony. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have people in the Bible who spent time with Jesus, who walked and talked with him, who touched him and felt him and knew that he was real. And they testify that Jesus is real and that he really is the Son of God and that he really died for our sins and that if we really put our faith in him, that by God's grace we'll be saved. So we have the personal testimony, and we also have the, the, the testimony of Scripture that says that the Scriptures that we have, the, the Old and New Testament, are God's Word. It is God's Word. It is not the words of people who just thought, hey, you know what, let's put together a little story. Let's put together a little uh, story about how, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, and then, you know, Moses and the Ten Commandments, and David and Goliath. We'll put together some nice-sounding stories over the period of, oh, I don't know, about 4,000 years, and somehow they'll have some kind of cohesion and harmony. No, we learn from Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16 that, uh, that all, all Scripture is God-breathed. That all Scripture is from the Word of God. It is God's Word to you and to me. It is His personal communication. It is His love, it is his love letter to us. So does truth exist? Absolutely. What is true? God's Word is true. What is truth? Truth corresponds to reality. And finally... The fourth question is, what is important truth? There's all kinds of things that are true that are just not important. You know what I had for breakfast this morning? I had an English muffin with peanut butter on it. Whole wheat English muffin, thank you very much, healthy Sean. Whole wheat English muffin with peanut butter on it. Who cares? Honestly, does it matter what I had for breakfast this morning? No, it does not. Whether I had coffee or not, no. Does it matter that I'm wearing a purple shirt? No. Does it matter that I'm wearing... Shoes, no. Is it true that I'm wearing shoes? Absolutely. 
Does it matter what shoes? No, it doesn't matter. In, in, in the importance of things, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Those kinds of truths, while they are true, do not matter. They are not important. Elijah, for example, Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. Okay, Elijah uh, fought off the 450. Does it matter that there were 450 prophets? No, that's, that's not what's important. What's important is that our God is bigger than, than Baal. Our God is the true God. And he destroyed the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophetesses of Asherah. Okay, that is what is important. It is the truth behind the truth that is important. So what? So what? Truth exists, fine. Truth is either practical or it corresponds to reality. Big deal. What is true? God's word is true. That's fine. I, I, I suppose we can, we can go with that. And, and what is important truth? Obviously, it's not important that you had an English muffin for breakfast, Sean. So what does this mean? What is the big so what? Why does this matter? Why is this important? Because without truth, we have nothing. If God's word is not true, if the Bible is not true, if the Bible is not true, then you are wasting your time. How many of you have, have leaves that you could be raking right now? I do. You know what's going on right now? March Madness. There's basketball games that I could be watching. I could be getting ready for right now. Super Bowl Sunday? They start at like 9 o'clock in the morning. I could be up at 9 o'clock watching, you know, getting my fill in of how the Packers were going to beat the Steelers. Oh, yeah. Why does this matter? Why do we have to have truth? Because, again, if there is no such thing as truth, then we are wasting our time. Because I have to know. I am not going to give my life. I am not going to give my, my everything to Jesus if he's not true. I am not going to... When I was in college, I wanted to be an actor. God said, you're not going to be an actor, you're going to be a minister. Because I believe that this is the most important job in the world. Because the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ is God's son, born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose three days later. And that is what I am giving my life for. Because I believe that it is true. And more than I believe it, I know that it is true. And if you do not know that what I just said is true, then you are wasting your time. Do not waste your time. Do not waste your life. Know for certain that truth exists and that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. We have to know that truth is essential to our faith. That there are things that are true and that we can know without a shadow of a doubt. Or else we're giving our time for nothing. So what are the essentials of our faith? One of the slogans of the Christian church is, uh, in essentials, unity, in opinions, liberty, in all things, love. So what are the essentials? What are the things that we have to believe? That is what we're going to take the next seven weeks and talk about. And the first is that there is truth. Dr. Jack, in his book, uh, asks the question, if your house were to catch fire, what would you grab? What would be the first thing you'd grab? Your children? Maybe clothes? Maybe a uh, high-definition television? A man's got to have his priorities. <laughs> I'd grab Jonathan first. Obviously, you know, and let Shannon fend for herself. Um, come on, let's go. In First Corinthians, in First Corinthians, we learn why truth is essential and why the truth of all this matters. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, if he, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, it doesn't matter. If, if it's not true, then we are wasting our time. It, it, truth is essential. We have to know that truth exists. That is the foundation upon which our faith is laid. That truth is real and that truth exists and that we can know it and live it out. And it forms the foundation for what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks. Ricky Gervais hosted the Golden Globes this year. He is a British actor and director and producer who is most well known for bringing the show The Office to life. You may not be a big fan of Ricky. Here's what he said. It is very interesting, his story. He says that when he was little, he loved Jesus. He loved God. He believed in God. He loved Jesus. Jesus was his hero. And one day he's sitting at the table and he's coloring. His older brother, Bob, was about 11 years older than him. And his older brother, Bob, did not believe. His brother, Bob, was an atheist. And so one day, Ricky is sitting at home coloring. And he's coloring a picture of Jesus. And his brother says, why do you believe in God? Ricky's mom said, Bob? Bob? And he said at that moment, wait a minute. If my brother doesn't believe it's true, and obviously my mom doesn't believe it's true because she had that tone in her voice that says, don't open that can of worms. If mom doesn't believe it's true and, and she's been lying to me this whole time, what else is she lying to me about? She's lying to me about Santa? Yeah, but you know what? The presents kept coming, so that's okay. She lied to me about she lied to me about anything else. How do I know that she was telling me the truth about God? And he says, and in that moment, at age nine, I became an atheist. This is what he said. He goes, um, this is what he lives for. He says, you know, I, I don't have to live for all that God stuff. He says, this is what he lives for. Imagination, free will, love, humor, fun, music, sports, beer, and pizza. He says, I no longer need a purpose. All of those are good enough reasons for living. I don't need a, re I don't need a purpose for living. I just need reasons for living. And let me go over that list one more time for you. Imagination, free will, love, humor, fun, music, sports, beer, and pizza. They're all good enough reasons for living. And you know what? He is wrong. He is wrong. Because those reasons for living... Do not give hope. There is no hope in sports, beer, and pizza. There is no hope in them at all. It may be a reason for living, but it's not a reason for dying. I would not die for a six-pack. I would not die for pizza, no matter how good Arenello's pizza is, and it is good. I would not die for it, and I would not die for Notre Dame, Green Bay, the Chicago White Sox, or Chicago Blackhawks, and I'm sure is not going to die for the Chicago Bulls. Not a Bulls fan or basketball fan, but uh, uh, the point is, is that they may be reasons for living, but they are not reasons for dying, and you know what, the, what a reason for dying is? Die for the truth, but know it. Know it enough so that if someday they come knocking on your door, and they say, do you believe? You better have a good reason for dying.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the hope that you give to us. I thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us in your word and in your son. And I pray that today you would help us to be sold out and dedicated, focused on the truth, knowing for sure that we have real hope because of the real truth of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father God, to know without a shadow of a doubt that what we believe is true and that real absolute truth does exist and that we know the truth and the truth is going to set us free. Thank you for this time together to share in this worship service, to share in this message. And I pray that as we move forward in this sermon series, that God, you would help us to get to the core of what we believe so that we will not only have a a strong faith in you, but we'll be able to communicate that faith to others who so desperately need to hear that you love them. Thank you again for doing amazing things in our presence, for doing amazing things in our midst, and for giving us your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.